Thank you, thank you, Janet, and you are making legends. I'm getting more and more calls all the time, people saying how much they enjoy your playing of the organ. And hello out there, everybody. Well, guess what? This isn't 2015 any longer. This isn't December any longer. This is January the 3rd, 2016. And we are in a brand new year. And do we ever have a schedule of sorts? Because when you're going by the Spirit, you don't put everything day by day because you don't know for sure what each day will bring and you have to always be prepared to move in the flow of the God winds. So, the God winds are blowing though and there's wonderful things and they're ready for a glorious time. Well, Exodus Escape 10. The time zone route or roots. So I wrote as a prelude to the teaching, and I will read Time has a way of bringing tears and anguish. This is why it must be understood that there are many paths of time. In other words, you wouldn't only want to understand time from the consequences of pain, hurt, hunger, anguish, and there's so much of it that, of that out there, it is not difficult for it to take a big part of time and to own it. It goes on and it says, not everyone is walking on the same path. I know that there have been teachings ministerial type of teachings in which they say there is only one path. But the Bible doesn't really teach that. Of course there is one path that specifically uh, refers to specific things. But the Bible teaches that there are paths that we take. And that doesn't mean that it's just two paths, one that's evil and one that's good it's very clearly that there are paths and different leadings, 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold leadings. And we have to understand that even within those leadings, there are many different kinds of surges. Surges up and surges down. Surges to one side and surges to another side. And so it goes on, it says, the path of Exodus escape offers many time zone routes. That's sort of interesting when you take time and you explain it as having zone divisions and as having routes, which, are, which is another way of saying paths. But routes, of course, is a more designated path. You are en route to a certain designated specific place. There is a dimension in mind that belongs to each one's spirit. It is the keyhole, sometimes called the needle's eye. In the power of the dimension of dematerialization, one does not need a key to enter beyond the door barrier. This is because you can enter through the keyhole to the other side 
without ever or even needing to fusion through the walls of material mass. It is a spirit-to-spirit reality. And I want to take the time, and before I read all of this, and uh, just read some really interesting and tough scriptures. Tough because I'm going to apply them to the potential of your life. Tough because they're a different way of ever thinking about them. And we will start, uh, for instance, in um, Isaiah 65. Uh, Isaiah 65, verse 1, reads like this. I am sought of them that ask not for me. I am found of them that sought me not. I said, Behold, behold me unto a nation that was not called by my name. Now, ladies and gentlemen, this is a totally different way of thinking about the pursuing of God. So many kinds of instructions have been given, and so much philosophical doctrine has been taught about how to be with God, how to find God. And I do not say that all that is spoken and all that is given uh, is totally erroneous. But I do say that there is a great deal of how people are taught to go to the city of God and to go to the Lord in prayer that is really not correct. Now we know that there was over 600,000 men that were the army and that each represented the, the fathers and the congregation of Israel that went out of Egypt. And they went out to find the promised land. And there was great hope and inspiration when they left. But we also know that in the end of the trial, that all of those men, with the exception of just two or three of the individuals, were not allowed to go to the promised land. Joshua was allowed. Caleb was allowed. Those were the two main ones. I will not say those are the only ones, although some people may read the Bible and say they were. But, uh, sorry, I don't necessarily trust your way of reading the Bible. So I'll just stick with how God has shown me to read it because I find there are so many things different from how the, um, the root and ground system of... Um, common style of ecclesiastical uh, teaching just doesn't jive with reality. And so it says, I am sought of them that ask not for me. How do you seek God and not ask for him? Well, I want to tell you something. That is the way that you find him. And the reason people are not finding God is because they're not following that kind of a disclosure. 
They are seeking God using a name that has no relevance to God in the fullest sense of being specifically a name given to speak direct to God. Jesus said, you know, when you pray, pray this way. My Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Now, I know there's a lot of people pray in the name of Jesus. And there seems to be scripture that says to do that. But people don't understand the making of the name of Jesus. You know, if you took it back to the the Arabic, even as it would be put into Hebrew significance, it would not sound like Jesus. Jesus was a transliterated word. They put a J on there that hadn't been there before instead of a Y. And if you said the other language, people in most people in English wouldn't even understand that that referred to Jesus. I'm not knocking that. I love the name Jesus. I think it's just the most beautiful name. And I think it was, you know, it was a, a spiritual design. But I want you to know that Jesus said, My Father is greater than I. And when I have come to speak this gospel, I am not speaking my words, my Jesus' words. I am speaking the will of the Father, and I am doing the things that he told me to do and saying the things that he told me to say. So if you are out there thinking that you are preaching the gospel of Jesus, you are, you are incorrect to begin with. The gospel of Jesus is actually the gospel of the Father about Jesus, of course, and about other things, of course. But the Bible says that a lot of people pray and it doesn't go through, it doesn't work. And that's for several reasons. The Bible says they pray and they pray amiss. They're just off the course, they're just off the beat, they're not in rhythm. They are not making a touchdown. They're making a loop that ends out of scrimmage. Now, you want to find God? Well, it says there's a whole bunch of people going to find God, and those that are going to find them, they, it says, I am sought of them that ask not for me. They're seeking God, but they're not asking for him. Now let's go on. Let's read a little bit more. And let's just see what it says. Behold, behold me unto a nation that was not called by my name. I am found of them that sought me not. I said, behold, behold me unto a nation that was not called by my name. So, that's tough stuff. That's tough stuff. Now, let's skip over to um, Jeremiah. And let's look at Jeremiah 31, 
31. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in, my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every uh, man his brother saying, Know the Lord. Ask, listen, let me ask you something. Is that what is that what is going on right now all over the Christian world? Is is that what the preachers are preaching and the Christians are testifying? Know the Lord. You need to know the Lord. But the Bible says here when this new covenant is given, they will no longer teach his neighbor and every other man or his brother and tell people to know the Lord. For it says, they shall all know me. They shall all know me. Now, of course, this is so deep. This is, this is straining at the hundredfold insight. It, it goes all the way back to, to Psalms, Psalms 19. And his line went out. And it went out into all the universe. And there was no place that it did not go. And there was no language that it did not speak in interpreted in the 10th chapter of Romans by Paul in his letter to the Romans when he used the term, term sound though instead of line and, and I've explained this many times I'll have to just not go over every single syllable because we'll never get this message preached and the question was asked have they heard the gospel do they know the gospel and the answer was yes they do every person has heard it the people that are adults have heard it. The people that are, that are males, men have heard it. The people that are females, that are, are, are wives and mothers and daughters and virgins have heard it. Babies have heard it and children have heard it. And babies in the womb have heard it. And babies waiting to be born have heard it. Because the Bible says that Levi had a reality while he was still in the loins of his father Abraham. So the unborn has heard it. In the spirit world, it is imbued. This is the new covenant. It's already there. It was there all the time. And this is the covenant that is part of the mind and the memory of that which was, which is that which is, and that which is, which is that which is to come. Belonging both to the Alpha and the Omega, and sometimes happening separately as a time zone of difference. And then there being many different aspects 
of that time zone, some closer to an omega, some further from an omega, and sometimes when the, um, uh, the alpha comes so close to the omega that they join and become one, and they happen at the same time. Want to find God? Well, people say, oh, we know the name. We know the Lord. We've got, we've got, we've got the tetragrammaton. We, 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 we know these things. Why? We've got the YHWH. Yes. And the patriots lost the meaning of it in Babylon. All of the, the rabbis of today do not know what it means. No one really knows anymore what that incredible name means. And so the only way you will ever find it is by not going out there and being taught by people who think that they are teaching you the name of God. What will be when you go inside of yourself, into the spirit of yourself, into the angel presence of yourself, and find it in you as you wrestle with that angel spirit of your first presence who one time belonged to the Ophanim, the wheels that you once were a part of. And so the new covenant is to go into what we call the sound tron, the line, the sound put together, the sound tron, which is a Holy Ghost thing as it is revealed in us. So then, how do you go to the city of God? You don't go to the city of God having a name. And Jesus described it. He says, when you go and you're on a route, he says, don't take more than one coat. Don't take a whole lot of extra supplies. That extra coat was all the extra kinds of religion. Those extra supplies was about all the extra kinds of ideologies. All of the, the rudiments that belong to the guest game. And God is saying, hey, you know who the people are that are really going to find me? You know who the people are that are really going to have a relationship with me? That's going to be something different that is ever imagined? He said, they're going to be the ones that have not... That, that, that have not uh, ask for me by name. They, they will seek me. I am sought of them that ask not for me. Those are the ones that are going to find God. You seek them, but you be very careful how you ask for them. And he said unto those people, he says, they will become a nation not called by my name. Now we know that there is Israel, El being God. And that is a nation that was called by the name of, of God as it was understood in that first covenant. But then something happened in, the, in, in regression and in backsliding. And the meaning of that was lost because all they had left was names like El and Elo Elohim. And those are names actually that came out of ancient other religions 
which they they brought into their religion and cleaned up and used and continue to use it and it's all through the Bible today. The, the, the prophets of Baal, they, they used, they were into those things. Some of the Babylonian uh, off uh, uh, sets were into those names. And people pray and say, oh God, you know, that mountain over there, that sort of blocks my view. You said if I pray in your name, it could be cast into the sea. In the name of Jesus, I challenge you and command you to disintegrate the wind to blow you into the sea. And time after time after time after time, on and on and on for ages, people kept trying that same dumb trick with that same dumb interpretation, and nothing happens. Nothing happens. Because they're not following Isaiah 65. I'm sought of them that ask not for me. They're not following Jeremiah 31. Behold, the days come. Well, see, there are days that have been. And there are days that are. And there are days that are going to come. These are all different time zones. The Bible talks about seeking God in the time of the fullness. Another scripture says, ask of the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain. A lot of people say, oh God, I'd like it to, to, I'd like it to, to rain today. But it's not the time of the latter rain. I'd like the sun to shine today, God, and for it to be up to about 70 degrees. But it's not the time of the year for that. What are you trying to do? Change God's cycles of weather? God's plan for the, the planet Earth? And there's a lot of people out there trying to live in the Old Covenant. They think they're in the New Testament, and that's, a, that's the New Covenant, but it's not. It can be, but so can the Old Testament be the New Testament. And the New Testament be the Old Testament. It just depends the route that you're on, the time zone that you put it in. Now, it's interesting People don't always understand what it means to ask God to do something. Let's, uh, let's look at Isaiah 38. Isaiah 38. And I'm going to read that to you because it's so, so interesting. And, and here, here is what it says in Isaiah 38. It said there was a king following the line of David by the name of Hezekiah, and he was sick unto death. And he lived in the time of Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos. And Amos went to him and said, well, here's the thing, or pardon me, the son of Amos went to him, which was Isaiah, and said to Hezekiah, well, here's the time zone for you right now. You're going to die. 
So get ready to die. Set your house in order and expect to die and then die. That's the time zone. And Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall and prayed to God. Now I think that if he had not turned his face toward the wall and prayed, that he would have been dead within a short time. But when he turned, he went into the turnings, and he turned around, and he put his back on everything else that he had been, been trusting in and experiencing and hoping for. And he turned around and put his face to the wall, to the blank wall. He wasn't seeing the garden. He wasn't seeing birds flying out there above it. He wasn't seeing the blue sky or the gray sky. He wasn't seeing his guards and any of the royal uh, aspects. He just turned to the wall, the blank wall, the blank wall that didn't have a name on it, the blank wall that didn't have any writing on it, the blank wall that didn't have any interpretation on it. He turned his face to the blank wall. And to the blank wall he prayed to God. Via the blank wall being an object that was receiving his prayers as he prayed against and into it. Well, when he did that, he got himself into the new covenant. When he did that, he got himself into Isaiah 65. I am sought of them that ask not for me. He didn't say, okay, take me over to the temple. Take me in front of the altar. Take me over to the priest. It seemed like that would be what a king would do that was, had any kind of religious rearing, and he had a lot of it, but he didn't. And the prophet Isaiah, you know, he was outside of the immediate ecclesiastia of the priestly operations. Respected but not really welcomed to be a director in the same sense that the priest wanted to direct things. But Hezekiah turned away from even looking at the prophet. He turned away from looking at the priest. He turned away because he heard what he knew was the will of God. It was his time to die based on the sickness that he had. Now sometimes the time zone is fashioned based on a condition. And a lot of times people just decide to go along with that condition because it has realism to it. And they don't think of the, of the, of the God with whom all things are possible, and the possibility that if you change that condition, if you bring in a healing, if you bring in a miracle, if you bring in a deliverance, 
then it will not only change you from being deathly sick, it will change the time zone and move you out of the time zone. And that's exactly what happened to, to this man, Hezekiah. His life was extended for 15 years. 15 years his life was extended. Now, let's look at Joshua 10, verse 13. Joshua 10, 13. And let's consider something there. This is important. Here we go. Now, in verse, um, let's start with, um, let's start with uh, verse, we could start with verse 12. Then spake Joshua to the Lord in the day when the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Son, stand thou, S-U-N, Sun, stand thou still upon Gibeon, and thou moon in the valley of Ajalon. Now, it's interesting that when the Bible describes this in the verse I just wrote, it is not told in exactly the same way as it seems to be indicating. It seems that it's saying that Joshua was speaking to the Lord. But the way Joshua was speaking to the Lord is totally different than how most people would ever speak to the Lord in this verse. Most people that would speak to the Lord would say, Oh God! Oh, Lord Jesus, oh, almighty Lord, the Amorites are out here, and we're sort of winning, but it's getting dark, and we're going to lose. If it gets dark, they're going to get away. Oh, God, we need you to come down. We need you to do this, and uh, God, let me tell you how to do it. We would like you to use about a thousand of your angels and go out and kill those people, or else do something so that we could win this? No. That was not the prayer the way most people would have prayed. That was not how he did it at all. In fact, it doesn't even sound like he prayed to God. But he was praying to God because he knew that God that was with him and in him and a kind of glory around about him and the people would be well aware of what he was going to say. And that God would receive it based on who he was, not necessarily on who Joshua thought he was, but on who he was. And here is how he prayed it. And here's what he said. Now come on and listen to this. Son, S-U-N, stand thou still upon Gibeon. Why, he was talking to the son. The son which is a huge star, 
I mean, it is a mass, massive thing. He was talking directly to it, and he was giving an order to it. Now let's go on. And thou, moon, moon of the earth, in the valley of Ashelon. So he was saying, I want the sun, I want you and the moon to stand still. You stand still, sun, where you, where you are, and you stand still, moon, where you are. <clears throat> and verse 13. <clears throat> and the sun stood still, and the moon stayed, until the people had avenged themselves upon their enemies. Is not this written in the book of Jasher? <laughs> Come on, people. I know you've never probably ever heard anything like this before. I was found of them that sought me, that didn't ask me by my name. They sought me, but they didn't ask me by my name. I'm making a new covenant. It's going to be a totally different thing. You're not going to be going out there anymore preaching and saying, Oh, the Lord, hey, uh, Sister Bogenhawk, we'd like to tell you about the latest uh, uh, meeting that we're going to have. Yeah, we're having Sunday school, and uh, we're going to be showing a diagram. Uh, oh, hello there, Brother Hockenberger. Uh, we'd like to invite you over to church today. Uh, the pastor's going to be preaching on a sermon, and he'll want you to hear this. <clears throat> and we're not knocking any of those people. God loves them. God bless them. But they're not getting the sun to stand still, and they're not getting the moon to stand still like it was happening with Joshua. And they're not, they're not doing some of those things. And they're not turning the they're not turning the sundial back either, 10 degrees. Well, the Bible tells us that the sundial was turned back 10 degrees. But here's what I want to share with you. Don't you think for one minute when the Bible says that the sun stood still and the, and the moon stood still, that the interpretation of that is common English, meaning it stopped revolving. Because if you believe that, you believe you belong to a class called dumb. And I want to get you out of that dumb class because when you are in a class that is teaching dumb, the highest reward that you can get for finishing that class is a dumb reward and a dumb grade. I want to get you out of that dumb deal. I want to get you into a new covenant. That's full of the glory of God. I want to show you how to go to the city of God. Because the Bible says there's a lot of people that don't know how to go to the city of God. You've got to know how to go to the city of God. And the majority of people are praying wrong, thinking wrong, believing wrong. And it's time for an escape from those old philosophies and old doctrines. And the Bible says it this way. 
Therefore, let us go on to perfection, not laying again those same old foundations. Doesn't mean that everything about that is wrong. But it's not the finished product. It's not the ultimate revelation. So what happened then? Well, when Moses said, sun stands still and moon stands still, what happened was there was an effect, an effect of light. So that what was equal to what sunlight was left there and what was equal to what the moonlight was providing, there was provided a light equal to that. There was an effect, an effect of that sunlight portion and of that moonlight portion that just was sustained and did not go away. But it didn't change the, the sun from rotating and the moon from rotating and the earth from rotating because if that happened, it would have been the end of the earth and the sun. I am sought of them that ask not for me. Wow. We're moving by the Spirit. Let me just finish this and then we'll take a break here. So the Exodus escape story must be told in bold outline about the fringes of the Holy Spirit where all things become possible. Transition is changed to paths, paths that bird fowls have never been able to fly, and time dimensions opened to such a degree that one may stand on earth and view the secrets of the heavens, because you know something from within, not by your physical eyes, not by your physical way of looking and believing, not by the names that you think are right, We'll take a break. Janet Lee at the organ.
Janet, Janet Lee, I'll tell you how your playing affected me. <clears throat> it made me feel like I wanted to get up and start dancing. And you know, that may be a different way of speaking to God. Just not be yapping off about something, but just get up and start dancing by the Spirit. And God would probably just love that, especially with beautiful music playing in the background. Wow. Okay. Time and show. Time zone. Exodus escape. We, we are teaching you how to escape some things that just belong to not making it to the city. Not knowing how to go to cities. Just show you how to do it. It's, it's like a voice, like a trumpet sounding, like what John heard when he was on the Isle of Patmos. And the trumpet sounded and the voice spoke and said, John, John, come up hither. There's a time, ladies and gentlemen, that people have just got to come up hither. There's a time they've got to move out of those low-level vibrations and get up to a place and, and it's not like what they think. It's not with all the, the digits and all of the technicalities that they might feel like they have to have to describe their particular denomination or describe their particular uh, faith and consequences of it. But it's just a simplicity of moving into an embrace with the spirit of God's love and not having to give it a name. Just love to love and spirit to spirit and reality to reality. Wow. Well, it's just different, folks. It's just different how God does things and how he wants us to do things. In Exodus 7-7, it tells how that the ministry of Moses and Aaron didn't start till they were quite old. Moses was 80 years old when he went to, to Pharaoh the first time. I'm not talking when he was raised, but I'm talking about that Pharaoh that was the new Pharaoh that replaced the one that, that he was raised up as a child under. When he went to that Pharaoh, came back from the land of Midian, and did that ministry, he was 80 years old and his brother Aaron was 83 years old. Now in Exodus, and you can verify that in Exodus 7-7. In Exodus 7-9, God is speaking and he says, knowing what, is, knowing what the Pharaoh is going to do, he says, when the Pharaoh shall, shall say or shall speak to you and say, Show a miracle. He told him how to do it. He told him how to go about to, do, to deal with Pharaoh. He did not say to him, go through a ritual. You know, close your eyes and sort of lift your head up to, to heaven and sort of speaking in some kind of what language you think and what name you think is going to sound holier than thou or sound 
sacred. He didn't say to do it that way because that was not the way to do it. He said to do it the way that people are, are seeking me, but they're not seeking me by telling me how to do it or calling me by, their, by a name. Because a name is a designation. It, a name, you know, sort of says, this is what this name, name mean, means. And even though it may mean more than what a human being could comprehend, when you say that name, you are limited to the meaning of that name based on what your limit of capability of understanding that name is. So when you speak that name, and you speak it based on the limit of the understanding that you can apply to that name, then you are given emphasis to that name, meaning something less than it potentially could, and you'd be a lot better off then sometimes just not to say the name. And to do it just like what God said, well, Pharaoh's going to say to you, show me a miracle. Now, this Pharaoh guy, he's had all kinds of magicians come before him. He's had all kinds of frauds. And I imagine some of those ended up dead. He's nobody to fool with. And he's not some stupid person. He knows what's real and actual and what is not. So he says, when Pharaoh says to you, show me a miracle, he said, take your rod and stretch out your hand <laughs> and cast it to the floor. And he said, it will turn into a serpent. Now, a lot of people into their religiosity, even in Christianity, would reject that if they had not first heard it from the book of Exodus, they would say, oh my, oh my, the serpent, you've got to be careful there. The serpent belongs as a satanic representative. representative. You would not want to put that as a sign before the Pharaoh of when you're trying to, to deliver the people out of the bondage. That's a satanic sign. And I don't care if you think God did tell you this. No way God would have told you that. You just don't listen to that because God wouldn't have tell you that. I can show you in the book of Revelations where it talks about uh, the Satan, the dragon, the old serpent. And you can see right there that Satan himself is called the old serpent. So then if he's a serpent, then when you cast the rod into, to become a serpent, you are casting it to become the emblem of Satan himself. And I can't believe God would ever say that, so be careful. Don't do that. Now, let me tell you how to go to before the Pharaoh, and let me tell you how to show the miracle. You get down on your knees. First, you bow your head. You may even need to get prostrate on the floor for a while. Then you get back up, and then you close your eyes, and you lift your, your head toward heaven, and with a loud voice, you begin to plead in the name of God for a miracle to happen. And you don't even name what it is because you don't even know what God may decide to do. And guess what will happen? Nothing. N-O-T-H-I-N-G. No thing. Nothing will happen. And the Pharaoh will say, get out of here before I decide to have you put in prison or killed. Moses and Aaron went in, 
And they did what they were told. When the Pharaoh said, show me a miracle, they just lifted up their hand with their rod. The rod was significant. It represented the Father ministry. That's what the rod represents. You put the name of the Father on the rod. And that represents the Father of the children of Israel. So it was symbolically representing what Jesus said, when you pray, pray and say it this way, My Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. But sometimes it's a better way to say Father by lifting up a rod, keeping your mouth shut. I don't say that it has to be that way all the time, but sometimes in front of a Pharaoh, you might be better off to just keep your mouth shut, just lift up the rod, because now you're speaking in the, in the language of tongues he does not know. But if you speak in the language that he knows, and he'll be listening how you say it, he may find fault with it and not receive it. But when you lift up your, your stretch out your arm and lift up your hand and lift up a rod, he's looking at that with wonderment. And God knows exactly what to tell people to do if they'll just do it. And then he said, after you get it up, and you know, he's probably thinking, well now, that's probably some honorable sacred item. And he will be handling that very carefully and very diligently. But then when you take and you slam it down on the ground of all places, slam it down on the ground, that will shock the Pharaoh, no doubt. <laughs> That's a, isn't that a, a sacred item, a, like a wand or something? And he slams on the ground, and suddenly there is a transfiguration of the rod into a serpent. And God knew exactly what he was doing. Because if you had, if you had transferred that in, into a cross or a Bible, say it was in modern times, and they don't believe in the Bible and they don't believe in the cross, they would just say, I don't accept that. I don't believe in the Bible. I don't believe in the cross. But you would have all these people out there that would believe in, in, <laughs> in, believe in serpents. And they'd see the serpent and they would just be full of wonderment. And then they would really be full of wonderment when you throw down another rod, that when the magicians of, of Pharaoh come in and they throw down their rods and make serpents, that your rod and the serpent it makes eats up all of those serpents of the magicians. Now you have made a point to Pharaoh and Pharaoh is beginning to decide to let you come back again and show more miracles. And this is the beginning of the time zone route. You are opening up a door. You didn't go through the regular door. You didn't even have the key to go through the regular door. You went through the keyhole, and that was totally not expected. Wow. Wow. So that's how it works. That's how it works. Here's another one. There's another time when he said, show a sign. That's a little different. Show a sign to all of 
Egypt and the Pharaoh. Go over to the, to the river and take your rod and cast it down over the, and hold it and cast it down over the water and pronounce. And he says, and the river turned into frogs. And frogs, by just num numbers without, they can be counted, begin to count. A, a frog? In the book of Revelations, it shows that there's these three fog, frogs that come out of this beast and that they're demonic. They're like demons. Why would you use serpents and frogs to be the miracles of God? Well, people are in this scripture that I read you were seeking God, not calling any name, not making any points of something. They were just following how the Spirit was going to lead. And when God saw that they were following and looking for the Spirit, He answered them and made them His nation. And then He offered a new covenant because that nation of Israel, with their 600 and some odd thousands of men, all backslid, never made it into the promised land. There's large groups of people that think they're going to make it into the promised land, going to make it into heaven. And they're singing songs about going to heaven. I don't say they won't ever, ever, ever make it into heaven, but they may not be making it into heaven for a lot longer period of time than they ever imagined. Wow. So what's going on? Well, you know, people say, I just don't think there ever was maybe a Joseph, or I just don't think there ever was a Moses. Or I just don't think there ever was a, uh, two million people or 600,000 people that decided to be taken uh, across the Red Sea and escape from, from uh, Egypt because there's no archaeological signs anywhere. And that many people would have had to leave signs. Is that right? Well, let me tell you this. What about the pharaoh who built the largest the largest building that ever existed for hundreds and hundreds, thousands of years, the highest, the largest building that ever existed on earth, the Great Pyramid in Giza. What about the Pharaoh? Do you know that to this day they don't know for sure who built that, 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 that gigantic pyramid? And there are some people that think that it might be Khufu, K-H-U-F-U, Khufu, or Khufu. And guess what? <laughs> There's just hardly any evidence to show that Khufu built it. When an archaeological guy was there, and he was digging over in the Egypt area, not too far from the, area, the site, and they were digging and digging and digging and and just finding nothing. But then one day, they found this little statue missing a head. It was only just a few inches. 
inches long, just a few inches long. And the head archaeological man, the head archaeologist, looked at it and he said, I believe that this may be a statue of Khufu. And if it is, this would help us to believe, because it's right close in the area here, that he is, the, the, he is or was the pharaoh that built this great pyramid. So he stopped all of the rest of his archaeological digs. And he concentrated just in the area to see if it would be possible to find the head, the little head that was probably less than an inch. And they dug for weeks and weeks and, and, and shifted sand and things through screen. And finally, they found this little head and glued it on to this little statue that's about six inches of Khufu. And they don't know that that could really prove that he's the one, but it helped that they found that statue of him. Well, what I'm trying to tell you, the way it was in Egypt, these pharaohs that didn't like the pharaoh before, or the priests that didn't care for the pharaoh before, like they didn't care for Akhenaten, they destroy buildings and temples and everything that has any ensign or any of their name on it, any evidence of it. That is just the nature of how they do. So don't say because, <clears throat> because you can't find something, it was never there. All right. I'm just making a point that's, that's, that's real. I mean, that's just real stuff. And just because something's not on a king's list doesn't mean that there's not another list. So it's so important. Okay, now, let's get, let's get something weird because we're talking time. We're talking time. Now, if you go, you know, into the books of Exodus 40:41 it talks about the people of Israel being captive and it, and it sounds like they're you know they they were they were captive in the land of Egypt for 430 years and you hear that in all kinds of literature, archaeologists quote it, Christians quote it, but the Bible doesn't really say that. And so when we start getting into the time zone of things, we have to look at what the Bible really does say, and here's the way it works in the Bible. If you don't take the Bible as a whole book, so that the contextuality of the Bible is of the nature that it all is evident of one part to the other part because it's all written by the Spirit of God, using people that were not perfect, but that the underlining meaning, when you get into the underlining meaning, there is a fabric of truth 
that is absolutely provable. So let's just quite quickly look at Exodus 12. And let's just read and see what it really does say in Exodus 12. Okay? Now, here we go. So in Exodus 12, and we're looking at um, verse 40. Now, that's, that's a time, you know. That's a time. Now. The sojourning of the children of Israel who dwelt in Egypt was 430 years. Now, does that not sound like what people are teaching? That they were in in the land of of Egypt for 430 years? I mean, I'll grant you that when you read that, you could think that that's what it's saying, but that isn't what it's saying. And that is not what other parts of the Bible verify it to be. Now, and, and, and why is this so important for me to point this out? Because I'm doing this teaching on Exodus, Exodus escape. And I'm showing how this not just about Israel, it's not just about Egypt, but it, it's a scope that reaches out going be back before Egypt and, and, and covering tremendous amount of terra firma. Now, let's look at what this really says. Now, the sojourning of the children of Israel. The sojourning of the children of Israel begins with Abraham. When God spoke to him and said, leave Ur and go to a land that I will show you. And I'm going to put it in paraphrase. And there is, is, is a land that I want to show you that's going to become a promised land. And there's, there's a, a man that I want you to meet. And there's a, there's a city and a and a building that he has built, not made with hands. He's built a city in the, and, and he's built a building, not made with hands, and I want to, to take you to this person. Now, Paul reveals that, that that is true. He reveals that in Hebrews. So, the sojourning is what is missed there. Now, the sojourning of the children of Israel it goes all the way back. Of course, Israel is also a name of, of the person Jacob. And that gets very, very close to Abraham. And so the sojourning of them, is there a route? The time zone route from Ur. So we're getting into time zones here. And it is in the now, it is incorporated and includes the time zone root of the sojourning of the children of Israel. <clears throat> Otherwise, you've got to say, well, which children of Israel? There was the people that were the children of Israel that lived back here hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Then there was the people of Israel that lived in, in Egypt. That's changing all the time, isn't it? Because people are living and dying. But that's what it says here. Now the sojournings of the children of Israel who dwelt in Egypt, that Israel goes all of the way back. <coughs> we're not talking a spiritual Israel. We're talking a literal Israel, the physical Israel 
that lived in Egypt goes all the way back to their sojournings. And counting the sojournings as part of the dwelling that adds up to 430 years. Now let's go over to Galatians and see what Galatians says. Because here is where the real revelation unfolds. Revelations 3.16 Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. And this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law which was 430 years after, cannot disannul. Now we begin to see that the covenant started with Abraham. And the covenant was all part, conclusively, of everything that Israel in their sojournings did. It was all part of the time zones. All part of the search. Searching for the city of God. Searching for the Melchizedek priesthood of God. And that story, and that message, and that covenant was not changed by Moses, it was confirmed by Moses. And the Bible says that these very things were confirmed, con confirmed and ordained by the hand of angels. So now we see then, now to Abraham, we've got that same word now, that time zone, and to his seed were the promises made. So now you have promises that incorporate also that time. And that is why when they go back and they actually do a lot of study, that they cannot find where Israel actually, as a large group of people, was in Egypt longer than about 215 to 200 210 or 215 years. And they can't make this 430 years really work out because they didn't understand that it included the sojournings and the covenant, which was all part of the same thing. It was all part of the same thing, which was a, a continuum of that covenant. And it just moved in the group that had that law to Egypt to escape the famine. And under the blessing that was predicted that it would happen by a dream that was given to, to, to Joseph, 
which he saw the stars and the moon bowing to him, which is all about the revelation of the Ophanims and all about the revelation of his brothers and, 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 and even his father coming and being there and seeing him, seeing him in Egypt. And that was all about the story. Now, when they went to Goshen, like the word go, <laughs> went to Goshen, that was just a small place, would not be able to handle two million people. So it had to also include, as I said last week, the land of Ramesses, or the Ramses, which means the land of the sun god. Now, the sun is a symbol of God. Doesn't mean you worship the sun as though it were the God, but you certainly recognize it as a symbol of God. Because without the sun, that which rays give life on earth, you wouldn't have life on this planet. And so we see when we look at words like re, R-E, and ray, R-A, that those are, are abbreviations of Ramses, and they mean more than just the name of a, of, a, of a pharaoh. Now, we should understand that. We have airports that have been given the name of deceased presidents, and many other kinds of things like museums, and, and, and other types of public places that are given the names of, of people that have been famous and been leaders. And that's not any different back there in the time of Egypt. So Ramses didn't just mean a king. It meant a land, and it meant a lot of other things. It actually meant about the belief. It was about the belief because it actually, the name is tied in the meaning, believing in the sun god. So no wonder it is so difficult for people to research and find what is what. Because, for instance, the pharaohs, many of them had as many as 15 different names. So just finding one name of the pharaoh was like just finding one piece of the puzzle. You needed to find many of the names because these different names may, may describe the different kingdoms or whether they were just a pharaoh of lower Egypt or a pharaoh of upper Egypt or a pharaoh over upper and lower Egypt and whether they were a, 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 a war pharaoh or a different kind of pharaoh. And all those different names uh, would also mean if they took a, a wife of another nation for peace, and then that name would have a, a, an imprint and a meaning that was significant of, of them making peace with that other, other king or other kingdom. And so when we talk about Akava, Revelation, 
it is that very thing about going into the, the Bible and finding words and then taking those words and showing that they are connected with many other kinds of words and that, that you're just putting together a puzzle. And when you finally get the puzzle all put together, you end up with a picture. And when you end up with a picture, then you end up with the knowledge that is spoken by that picture. And so these are all very important things. And, you know, um, the Bible tells us that a lot of things that happen, happen because of a destiny. In Isaiah 41.25, it talks about, I have raised up one from the north, and he shall come. Now, that was referring to a specific person who also was a representative of another person in a different time zone. People are getting involved in some of the science things today and getting all worked up with these multiple universes. But it would be far more interesting if they would just get into the multiple time zones because a lot of them do infer there being other dimensions. And they more specifically give you information that you don't get by just knowing about untitled and unlisted, and you don't know where in the universe that they belong or exist, other kinds of universes. And I'm not too interested in some of these string theory dimensions that are, are all, you know, in a loop. They're not really in a loop. They're, they're just sort of curled. They call them curled. And <coughs> they're so small, <coughs> they're so small that they're invisible. So they're, they're just these invisible curls. They call them dimensions, and they use those to try to prove their math. That's not very interesting to me because, you know, uh, who wants to live on a curl or in a curl dimension, visible curl dimension that's so small that you can't see it? Smaller than the ant world. Well, this thing about time is so crucial, so awesome. It's far beyond what people have ever thought. For instance, let's start looking at things like if we're dealing with, in this modern age, nanoseconds. If we take and try to say, what is a nanosecond? Well, a nanosecond is a billionth of a regular second. It's a billionth of a regular sec se second. And there are as many nanoseconds in one regular second as there are seconds in 32 years. So if you counted all the seconds that there would be in the 24 hours for every day for 32 years, one nanosecond would equal that in its being a billionth of a second. Is that incredible? It's a time zone as a time zone of, of describing particles. And yet, 
that still is not small enough to describe some of the of the rays that come from stars and their particles are so small they're smaller than a nano second degree and so discovery of these kind of existences and things are very interesting and no one's trying to make them to be a world you live in but that they have something to do as a field of existence with the world that we do live in and the universe that we do live in therefore being able to properly designate them to what zones they belong is absolutely utter so when God made the universe and made the stars and made the sun and, and knew that the sun would, like being a star, would put out neutrinos by the multi-billion trillions and the photons photons would come out, the light rays. He knew they were more than just being in the zone that they were, a, a mass, a burning mass. He knew that they could be to people who were using them to live, people who needed them for the comfort of life. They could be time zones. So in Genesis 1.14 it says, And let there be lights in the firmament, or the heavens, to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and seasons, for days and years. And so now we've got a sun that is a star having other purposes than just being a gravitational thing that keeps the planets of the solar system in their, their route, their routes that they take, their paths that they take around the sun and in the great circle of the zodiac. There's other things like time. Time for what the day, for a day. Time for the hours, time for the night. And to divide because those things just aren't a solid. They are a multiple consistency. And they are parts that belong to parts and things that belong to things and pieces that belong to pieces. And this is all part of the reckoning and the understanding. Well, I know I'm getting to run out of time and there's one thing I wanted to just read before I close. And there's so much that I did not get to. But this comes from the awesome Seven Thunders Speak, Manifest Chronicles Before Genesis Book, page 187. And Gabriel says, Sometimes it is foretokened that certain acts be initiated, that in clearing the past, they also will clear the future. It is so important to understand that there are things 
that belong to your peace and that you may have to turn to the wall and get out of your regimented, your, your, let me put it this way, out of your common accepted idea of how you are supposed to get an answer from God and approach this whole thing in the new light of the covenant that God has given with, with the people so that you can reconcile things that have happened in your life in the past and bring them about to the glory of things that need to happen in the future. And finally, that connects to the idea of the city of God. There's a heavenly Jerusalem that the literal, physical Jerusalem was symbolic of. Did you know that Joseph, did you know that Joseph told his brothers, Fear not, for I am in the place of God. That's not common language. And in Hebrews 12, 22, it talks about a heavenly Jerusalem, city of the living God, Mount Zion. Because it says, all these other cities that you're familiar with, they are not continuing cities. But this city of God is innumerable of angels. And it is connected to the general assembly of the firstborn, born from above. So here's my final point. Jesus says you must be born again. Well, this, we understand, means born again from above, because that's the language. And when you get born again from above, you get put into something that has the ability of circular consciousness, so that you become aware of something that you are connected to that in one way seems not to be part of what you physically, literally are, but in fact is written in your heart and written in your body. And it's the covenant of God. And when you get born again from above, then there is a connection to that above. So what is loosed on earth is loosed in heaven. What is bound on earth is bound in heaven. It's all part of the time zone route that we're asking you to come on and take a trip with us on a good old gospel ship. God bless you and keep you in this new year. Amen. <laughs>